Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast. I know so many of you listening to this show love your local bar, your local restaurant, maybe your local hotel, and have so many fond memories of time in hospitality businesses. This is the podcast where we get to chat to the human beings behind the scenes of that industry. Maybe the chefs or the bakers or the coffee roasters or the gin distillers or the craft brewers or the entrepreneurs, but all doing an amazing job of making sure that hospitality stays interesting and the big dull formulaic brands do not take over our high street please enjoy the show In this week's conversation, we are chatting to Alex Kamerling, founder and creator of Cam & Sons. Now, before we get going, I just wanted to let you know that we had a smidgen of a sound problem with this recording. So the audio quality is not where I usually like it to be, but I think the sheer determination of this week's guest will see us through. I've said it before, and I'll say it again for good reason. The world of food and drink would be a much duller place without the dogged perseverance and amazing palates of crazy people like Alex. For around three years, the flat he shared became home to countless little bottles, each filled with different flowers, roots, barks, berries and spices – all gently macerating in alcohol. Why? Because Alex was determined to create Britain's first ever standalone aperitif, in the tradition of an Aperol or a Campari, but with a unique flavour all of its own. He started with a hundred different botanicals and spent months and months whittling them down, hence lots of little bottles. Most of us would never go down this alchemy route. We'd just sit back and order another G&T or a Pims. So what drove Alex and did it work out the way he wanted? Find out now in this week's conversation. Alex, thank you so much for sparing the time to uh, come on the podcast this week. Much appreciated. Pleasure. Nice to be here. So, uh, can you just explain where on planet Earth are we, and are you uh, are you a local man? We're in Clapham. We're in uh, Clapham Common, uh, just off the common. Very nice sunny day outside. Yeah, um, it's beautiful out there. And uh, I've come from North End, from Finsey Park. Okay, excellent. Uh, so we're going to uh, come into to what you do now and this fascinating kind of story of this uh, of this aperitif that you've created, which I'm looking forward to doing. But before we do that, I just want to go back in time a little bit. Uh, can you just explain to me what was your interest, your initial interest in cocktails? Where did that come from? I think my, my interest, I've always been interested in spirits and cocktails as, as opposed to beer and wine. I was never really, actually growing up, I was never really much of a drinker. I never really saw the point. I didn't really get it until I kind of worked, started working in bars and I could see how much fun the bartenders used to have in bars. Like, well, that's the job that I want <laughs> when, I, when I, as old as I, you know, as, as soon as I can, uh, I'm the legal age to work in a bar, I want that job. So I started working in the bars and I guess just kind of got a taste for for spirits and, and um, I guess through, because <laughs> the cocktails are very sugar based. So as a younger, you know, uh, a male adult just, you know, likes sweeter things. And so I guess that kind of like, is an easy stepping stone into kind of appreciating spirit. So I kind of, my cocktail uh, um, career started when I was 18, I guess. Okay, so this is when you were studying as a, yeah. as a part-time job in yeah, essence, exactly. and carried on through uni. But carried you... on through, yeah. I mean, so I've always kind of come back to bartending. It's really fun. Um, you meet some great people. You get to like, you know, maybe all the time. You're working with cool people, a lot of creative people as well that have sort of come, you know, from acting or you know, dance or photography or art or photography, whatever. Um, so yeah, there's always a, a, a nice crowd of people in there, and um, so I was always doing that as a as a, as a job while I was. Um, making art—that was you know, my, my main thing. Yeah, it's amazing how many people in this sector come from that creative industry. I always yeah, say with my team is that you know fundamentally they they either carry crayons or a musical instrument of some kind, which again is something that I love. But that's what you did at uni. It was it was. Went to art school. Yeah, did did uh, kind of two year foundation in, in sort of general art and design, and, and sort of specialised in. Specialised in three-dimensional design, um, which was metalwork, which, which covered everything from sort of jewellery through to you know forge work. But actually, I came out of college, of college doing sculpture. Okay. I had a sort of fine art studio, and I was making sort of uh, quite you know well-made design-focused pieces, but they were they were art pieces. Amazing. And you know, had some relative success selling them, but you know, living in London, you sell a lot a lot of art to actually to pay the bills and pay the studio rent. So you know, worked in bars to to help that 
yeah, that, that, um, that passion. Yeah, it's a shame in both hospitality and art, they're both frustratingly difficult industries to make a decent uh, wedge of cash Absolutely, out of, I think. Yeah. Isn't but it? you know, it's, it's not all about making money, is it? As long as you can pay the bills, then, Absolutely. then you know, you're doing what you love doing, that's the important bit for me. Was there some stuff through the arts, I suppose I'm thinking particularly around maybe the branding element that were useful to actually Absolutely, at least recognise yeah. what's... I mean, I've always been keen on brands and branding, I've always enjoyed, you know, I always go to the cinema early so I can see the adverts. It's like I like the adverts, I like the way stuff sold, I like the way it's packaged. I've always been into that. So so I've definitely put loads of creativity into not only making liquids, but also the branding and also the marketing as well. You know, there's some fun things you can do with you know, with the way that you talk and the way that you sell and, and you know, the activations. You know, we've had little cocktail bars in cocktail sheds and a little bar with a bike on it and you know, a pad a bar that was a punch and duty stand. So, you know, you come and visit Cards of the Bar and it's the Bunch and Judy stand and we'd make cocktails. Bunches, obviously. Um, so it's a lot of fun you can have with, if you've got a sort of creative background, you can take it in lots of different directions. Yeah, I'm always envious of people that can, can build things because I, I, I love uh, sort of our, our industry because it's so creative and because the environments are so different. But unfortunately, I'm really crap at actually making anything. So oh, it must right. be nice to be able to bring stuff. That's, that's, that's the thing, I like using my hands to make yeah. cocktails was one of those things. So I can put all these ingredients together in a creative way and make something and it looks nice and it tastes nice and the customer enjoys it. And that gives me a bit of satisfaction and it's fun. You know, everyone's having a nice time and uh, we've all made some money. Right? Yeah, <laughs> nice. Apart from the customer who spent some. <laughs> <laughs> and where did you, you hone that skill? Because you've, you've taken this to an extreme, which we'll hear about in a minute, but you started off, yes, I like I like sweet sugary drinks, but where did you actually turn that into a skill and, and develop your So product? I guess I sort of, um, at, uh, you know, working in bars, you have a set of, uh, of recipes that you follow and you make those recipes and then after a while you get a bit bored and you start taking one thing out and putting another thing in. And actually, if I change this around and change the, the style of the drink and, and then you start making up new drinks. And, and when I started, there wasn't really, the, the industry was quite small, you could count them. This is going kind of mid-90s in London, I sort of moved in and um, we did cocktails in Bournemouth when I, when I, where I grew up, but actually when I moved to London, that was when I really sort of it kicked up the gear. Things like espresso martinis, brambles, uh, Russian spring punches, mojitos, cuparines, these were the drinks that were the cosmopolitans were all being drunk at that time. And it was fair, you know, they were the, the classic drinks and everyone would start drinking those. And then people started to experiment a bit more and start to be a bit more adventurous. And there were some cocktail competitions on. So I, I entered some comps and won a few competitions and got sent around the world to these amazing places. Um, went skiing in, in in South France, went to Jamaica, went um, went to New Zealand on a trip. Like sort of these amazing things, and I was like, "Hang on, this is great! I'm having a great time." Like I can either kind of you know sweat in my studio uh, making art all day and not say much of it, or I can you know pursue this career in in drinks and you know get all these these great perks. And and so yeah, when life gives you lemons, you make a Tom Collins. So I sort of um, I went a few comps, I started doing some writing. And I just that kind of grew from from that point on. Then I started doing some work on some brands, so a brand ambassadorship. Worked on a gin company, um, and that sort of yeah just led to working for another bigger brand, Grey Goose Vodka. So that was my that was sort of no, it wasn't a full time job, but it was almost full time. And, and I was the first ambassador for a big company. It was a bit more corporate, um, and that's the sort of point that I thought oh, maybe you know maybe I could make something, maybe I could do. Yeah, who creates drinks brands? And at the time, well, really anyone, you know, it was not a path that you could ever go down. You know, there, there was, it seemed like it was only the big drinks companies that, that made new products, the Diageo's and the Bacardi Martinis and the, you know, some Beam Tantori and things. And um, so I just sort of thought, well, let's give it a go and let's, let's try and start playing around. And, and that's where the kind of the idea started. And then we launched and I was like, oh, I've got, I've got a business. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, amazing. And, and, and we'll come back to that in a second. But, you, yeah. you know, you, you took the cocktails, like you say, they're quite a long way. You ended up traveling a lot, but you also did a book, I think. Yeah, I wrote, with... wrote a cocktail book for BBC. Um, That's great, really fun. And were these, these had to be different kind of cocktails? These were your incarnations so rather was, than just uh, the classics? Actually me just, I, I um, again, sort of creatively put, didn't want anyone, didn't want a publisher to have creative control in it. I wanted to create my own book. So I found a photographer and I found a design company and we produced this, pretty much did the whole book. And then we took it to different publishers and the BBC, you were like, yeah, great, perfect. Don't need to change anything on it. Just bring it back in six months, finished book. And so, yeah, so I did. And, um, and that was great. It was very nice. It was a hell of a process, you know, writing and publishing a book, but it was great fun. And, and um, yeah. Did it sell well? 
I did all right. You know, the thing with, that I learned about publishing is that if you're not making books all the time, you know, your, your books are just coming into the market constantly every few months if there's a new cocktail book or a new recipe book. Or, and if you're not adapting and changing, then, you know, your, your, that original book gets sort of sold and forgotten about, the new ones come on and they get the best displays and everything else. So um, I didn't want to do it again. I was like, I'm only going to do one book and it was fine. I made some cash out of it and it was great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to do it again. Okay. <laughs> yeah. like, tick. And that and that process of uh, of innovation, I suppose, and what I was chatting with with Kirsty, because um, obviously you're you're part of Love Drinks that we'll come on to. Um, but all too often, you know, innovation for innovation's sake, I suppose. How did you strike that balance between not just trying to come up with something that was different, but that kind of respect for the kind of classic? And I think you've done that again with mm. with your product. Yeah, I mean, so my my kind of inspiration was. The aperitif culture, um, and, I, and I was inspired by Aperol and Campari, and I really loved that culture. Um, but I also wanted to make something that was a bit healthier. Well, that was the starting point. I wanted to make a, a healthier booze, and it turns it's uh, you know people can't get their heads around the idea that booze can be healthy, but but um, in moderation it can be. Um, and also the things that you can put into the alcohol can be healthy. So I was I was looking at ingredients like ginseng and manuka honey and goji berries and echinacea and all these things that have been used in the past um, as you know as health as medicines um, and alcohol is a really good way to extract the properties of those plants and botanicals and it delivers you know into the into the bloodstream so medicines were alcoholic a lot of medicines were alcoholic um, and you wouldn't have lots of it but you'd have some of it you know bitters angostura and chartreuse and benedictine and all these kind of old medicinal liqueurs and things so kind of partly inspired by you know that history of alcohol and medicine Partly by the aperitif culture, and partly by things like pims, which I just thought was a bit old and boring. I just thought it could be better, and so I took all of those and, and gin really as well. You know, the, there was um, you know a lot of interest in gin. <laughs> there is a ridiculous amount of interest in gin now. There was still you know 15 years ago. I was going to say how long ago was yeah, this? About 13, 14 years ago. Actually. Okay. Um, and yeah, you know, I was working with this gin company at the time, and I thought, well, if I can make, make something like a gin. But sort of take some inspiration from the Italian aperitif culture, but also take some inspiration from this history of alcohol medicine, and sort of put those ideas together to form a brand. So that was the starting point. Okay, because it, it really is the kind of like I don't know the, the, taking you, and this is why I love this industry I suppose is that somebody in our industry will always get geeky about something it doesn't matter if it's coffee or if it's uh, if it's a particular booze or it's a gin but I just love the fact that people will take things to an extreme which is which is literally what you did isn't it because it was it you started with something like a hundred ingredients can you just explain yeah I just kind of collected I, I did as much research as I could to find out the ingredients of you know Jägermeister and Chartreuse and you know gins and bitters and all sorts of things Anything that's been used, any botanical that's been used uh, in the past, either as medicine or as a, an ingredient for a cocktail or a spirit, I got hold of. And I sort of macerated each one of those individually just to try and just to work out the flavour. I've never really done anything like that before, I'm not a botanist. Um, but I wanted to just find out what those flavours were like when they were infused, when they were added with, you know, with alcohol, with water, with sugar. Um, just to understand the flavour profiles and also then at the, at the same time doing some research on each botanical so you know what are the properties of ginseng what does it do to the body how does it work what, what benefits are there so it was this kind of combination of there's the ingredient this is the flavour is it useful yes no does it taste like shit no great cool it's got a chance of going in let's go whittle it down from 100 to 45 in the end over what time period um, well, the, the kind of the initial stage was probably a good year or so of just macerating botanicals and trying sort of refining the ones I wanted to use. But then actually getting the recipe right was another sort of four years after that. So sort of from start, my idea to launch was five years. Yeah. There was a little, you know, at the end of the book, you know, commercialising a recipe, but the, the recipe was probably three and a half, four years just to get it right. I was working almost full time for for Guayus at the time, so it's kind of weekends, evenings, whenever I could just catch it. Yeah. moment to test it and, you know you're sending off samples and, and you know and getting things distilled and there's lots of backs and forwards and speaking to suppliers and oh this isn't going to work we need to try this and you know aging stuff and shelf life testing and all that sort of stuff you know red tape yeah that's well. why it's just I, I love it because it's such a phenomenal amount of effort and when I was reading your story I was like wow that's that's just brilliant that somebody puts that amount of time and amount of effort and, and all the way through that did you know what you were kind of ultimately wanting to create did you have an no, idea in your head i mean I, I kind of had an idea of of um the kind 
the kind of flavours that I was looking for. But um, it's tricky, you know, if you think about something like Campari, which is really was the, the, I guess, the most sort of important um, flavour profile and brand that for me as, a, as an inspiration. So I'm going to take that as a, as a starting point. That's just an amazing recipe. It's 60 ingredients which, which come together and form one flavour. Now you can't pick out rhubarb root and gentian orange peel. It's pretty hard unless, you, unless I tell you in it and then you can smell it and you can get it. But So Gaspari Campari created it in 1860 and, and it's 60 botanicals that just they, they come together to form Campari. You know, that's the flavour when you try it, it's definitely Campari. Now that's genius. You know, how do you create a new flavour? You with using flavours that already exist, and that and so that was I, I didn't want to copy Campari, but I wanted to take inspiration from that and say, okay, so what are the what new flavours can I use, and what new flavour can I create using these botanicals which have been around for you know thousands of years? So that was just, that was, and that's the bit that was so hard, and I'm a bit of a perfectionist as well, so it was like back and forwards, trialing as well. I took you know took this kind of early samples to to some friends' weddings and said, look, I'll just do you a little aperitif bar. I won't kill anyone, <laughs> just let me at them. So I just brought, you know, a few bottles along and tried it with, with you know, a bit of lemon and with tonic. And what do you think of this? Do you like this? You know, just to get, just to gauge people's reactions and, and things. It's like, okay, why not? I need to change this about it. I need to change this. And sort of refine it over, over a few sessions. Do you think you've got a particularly, um, I suppose, focused palette to be able to kind of uh, yeah, try think, all of those I mean, things? Yeah, that's, that's, um, uh, you know, I um, I think I've got a good palette for flavours, for tastes. I can pick up flavours quite easily. Um, I'm good at putting them together. I mean, I only say that because people used to always appreciate my cocktails. You know, people used to enjoy them, and you know, you get lots of compliments about. It. So I thought, oh, actually, I'm quite good at this. So maybe I can take those skills of making cocktails into making a spirit. Well, it can't be that much harder, can it? <laughs> anyway, it was quite. It was, uh, yeah. I think the hardest thing I've done. Yeah, creating a recipe and, and, and bringing it to market. Well, because most people wouldn't go and, and and to do well. I think that that genuine authenticity behind the product and the story is key. So a lot of people, you know, take shortcuts and it's, it's like we, you know, touched on earlier with gins. You know, there's so many new gins on the market, and then mm. people start doing flavored gins and mm. don't get Kirsty's chatting about pink yeah, gins right. and stuff like that because she goes, like, so too many people think that oh, I'm good at making cocktails or I'm good at making some booze or I like booze and I'm going to go off and do this, but not many people take five years to test a hundred different ingredients in different ways uh, which I think is is bloody brilliant and, and that's why the product deserves to to kind of you know to, to, to be successful because it's got some genuine graft in there so so when you're on that journey and you're testing all these different things are there have you any memories of any stuff where, that prickly st- stood out and you went oh my god like how does that ever make it into a drink it's horrendous or anything that you were surprised by when um, you went yeah, that's bloody yeah, lovely things, things like echinacea you know when you try echinacea root I mean it's pretty foul it's very herbal. Um, it's quite bitter. A lot of them are quite bitter as well. And I, look, Cabernet has got bitterness in it. I deliberately put bitter, bitterness is quite a key element to it. Um, we could have a whole chat about bitterness if you want. <laughs> um, but yeah, some of them, so like things like valerian. We've had valerian before. It makes you, it's it's good for sleep, and it smells awful. <laughs> it just smells really bad. Um, but if you want to make something, it's you know help you sleep at night. It's really good. Um, Echinacea is the other one, so those two spring to mind in terms of like they are not nice. <laughs> um, but you can put them in small amounts, you know, and and you can still get some of the, 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 the you know, there are elements of that you can take out. It's, okay. it's a balance. Did they go onto the not in list or you? Um, Valerian didn't make it on, but Echinacea did. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Be- because it brings, it because was it brings, the bitter specifically. Yeah. Was uh, it? yeah, the bitterness, but also just, you know, it's good for you. Echinacea is, is a, you know, it's a health tonic, so I wanted to sort of like pack it full of as many good, good things as possible. Okay, and, and on the flip side, any that stood out as instantaneously being particularly good, where you said, right, that. Oh uh, well, that's so the, I mean, the ginseng. The, the key botanical is ginseng. Like that's I've actually got four types of ginseng in there, and the ginseng. When I tried it, I didn't really know. I'd, I'd heard of ginseng, but I'd never tried it. I didn't know what it was, and I obviously did a lot of research. And and, and as soon as I tried it, I just like that's a flavour that I've never had before. It doesn't taste like anything else. So that was the starting point. I was like, okay, cool. This is this is good. This is a good thing. It helps metabolize alcohol from the bloodstream. It's good for blood flow, for energy, for, you know, for brain function, for liver da- liver damage, and all this great stuff. Whether all that stuff is proven or not, I can't say. But it's been used for thousands of years. The Chinese have been been using it um, in Korea. They use it. They use it all over the world actually now. But it's obviously originates in Asia. So it's uh, super useful, and also just had a flavour which 
I wouldn't say ginseng was a delicious flavour, but it's a unique flavour. So what I did is I kind of take that unique, it's got quite an earthy quality to it. And I sort of took that earthiness as the kind of base note. And then I've added layers of flavour, so like sort of woody notes and uh, aromatic and herbaceous, and then sort of the top, the light floral, um, you know, the blossoms and the, and the citrus peels and things. So I've got to balance all of those out. Um, so you kind of yeah, using these four types of ginseng as, as the yeah. I really like that description and I, and I read it when I was doing a little bit of research but that idea of it, of it almost coming from the roots and that's yeah. where the earthy flavours too and then much more to the top of the flower or the yeah, tree and, that, and the lighter flavours it's, it's quite a nice way to think about you know, it's, you're, using na you're using nature mm. it comes from the ground and, and you know things like ginger and ginseng and lots of other roots that come out of the ground have that earthy flavour I mean not all of them do but a lot of them do and then you know barks of trees like chinchona bark for example which has been used as an anti-malarial you know it's the thing that, that's in tonic water the quinine comes from it's woody you know it's, it's the bark of a tree it has woody flavor and then leaves have that kind of herbaceous, that green herbaceous quality and then the flowers are you know they're they're floral and they're light they're aromatic the fruits are citrus they're fruity they're you know yeah so so I, you know berries as well get that kind of fruitiness so it's all of these things go sort of i wanted to encapsulate that whole of Tasting a tasting a bush or tasting a tree kind of idea. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah. So uh, you know the, the idea was that the product takes you on a bit of a journey. You know, yeah. you, so you taste it and it and there's lots of things going on, and it's got this kind of nice sort of honey sweetness where you remove the honey in there to sweeten it, and the finish is it, the bitterness helps the flavour linger for longer. The more bitterness you have in your palate, the more it will that the, the flavours will kind of stay in your mouth. So it gives that length of of um, of flavour so balancing all of those flavours with that sort of honey bitterness was the key right and and you're doing this I've sort of got uh, images in my mind of a sort of slightly crazed professor with lots of little test tubes and stuff like that I but mean, you're doing this fundamentally in, in your was, flat it was, uh, yeah so I was renting um, at the time uh, in Highbury and I had sort of jars of alcohol pots and little infusions just dotted around the shelves and the window sills and the cupboards and stuff um, yeah, I mean, flatmate wasn't too happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it was cool because, you know, she got to test some Yeah, exactly. Stuff, got, she's got a drunk cake in it. Um, she was quite happy with that. Yeah, good, yeah, good, yeah, good, good tester. And although you said you, you didn't write another book, it feels like that, that level of, there can't be that many people with that knowledge who've, who've tested a hundred different uh, ingredients in lots of different forms and noticed their kind of flavour profile and health benefits and all that kind of stuff. It sounds like you should. Uh, right, yeah, maybe. Have, maybe. You, have you kept any notes? Um, I've got I've got spreadsheets actually with, you? you know, with really? with all of these ingredients and um yeah, and all the kind of notes and, and flavour profiles and stuff. It, it, I mean, it, it, yeah, I love it. And it sounds in, insanely complicated. Were there any points when you just went, you felt overwhelmed and thought, this is insane. I don't, I've got, you know, where yeah, where the bloody yeah, hell do I start yeah, about, to turn this into a drink? A um, year or two in, I just was like, where am I going with this? This is just like, what am I doing? This is, you know, it's, I just couldn't find a way with it at all. Um, and I was like, okay, I just need some time off. I went to India for a couple of months, just traveling. And um, and then came back and I came back, uh, you know, refreshed and, and I hadn't thought about it at all. And I came back and I just maybe it just was the fact that I just needed a break. Came back and then just the project carried on and I sort of found a found a way with it. Um, at that point as well, I'd also brought this big uh, wooden cow's head, cow's holy in India. I brought the brought this cow head back in this suitcase, this huge great thing, and it's on my still on my my, uh, my wall in my front room. And I sort of had that up and put that up and, and it was kind of my lucky, you know, motto, emblem. And I actually went into my bottle, that's the, that's the cow on the, oh, on the label excellent. there, and the little cow said. So this one thing is a, uh, a gazelle or a, a spring buck, it's a, it's a, a cow. Yeah, <laughs> uh, modelled on something yeah, you bought yeah. Um So yeah, that, that, so the project just kind of went on from there, so. Okay, yeah, right. and and was it very much? <laughs> yeah, oh, I can imagine. Uh, and was it very much an, an evolution, or was there kind of a, a, a? I'm trying to think how you add that many different ingredients, layer by layer by layer. And is there a bit where you go, okay, this is this is evolving in the right direction, or was there a particular mix where you said, ah, bang, that's it? Um, I think I got to a, into a, a, quite a habit of you know every weekend I'd be like, okay, I need to test my new batch sit down, listen to some music, you know, and, and sort of test it out. And actually there was one point where I was testing it and I'd sort of, I'd had, I had one and I'd kind of forgotten that I was testing it. I poured another one and I think I had three and I was like, hang a minute, that's delicious. I've been really enjoying that. 
I think that that is the one, you know, and then so I did, it was one of those kind of, you re, I mean, it obviously been working it for a while, it was that kind of like, okay, I think we're done, this is the time to, this is the time to stop. To stop. It's, it's really delicious, I've enjoyed it all night. Um, that's the one. Okay, yeah, so yeah. up into then, were you literally sort of, you know, take out an ingredient, add an ingredient, take out five, yeah, add five, uh, uh, what, how, yeah, how do you go through error, that? basically, just a load of trial and error. You know, I would, I would, um, it was, uh, it's funny because it was quite, a, it was a while ago now and um, it's, it's kind of blurred into, <laughs> um, blurred into one, but, but it was, it, I just remember it being really hard, you know, I had to really concentrate and it wasn't like something that I, it was, it wasn't particularly easy. It was a, yeah. uh, um, it just needed a lot of thought and a lot of going back to other products as well. So it's, okay, try this and then I've got to give it some reference points and I need to, okay, I need to try Campari, I need to try Pim, I need to try Chartreuse, I need to try some gin. Okay, where does it fit in that scale and is it in between those and sugar contents and you know all those sort of ABVs, different different strengths and yeah, just a lot of lot of different lots of little bottles. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of little bottles. So that kind of brings it to fruition. So what did you end up with then after that journey? Can you just describe, you know, what is the drink and how do you make it? So uh, when I launched it actually I, I called it uh, it was originally Camelings Ginseng Spirit when I first launched it. And so it's changed a couple of times because the liquid is exactly the same. Um, but it's essentially it's made like a gin. So it's distilled like a gin. Other aperitifs are macerated in alcohol and wine. So the, you put the botanicals into the spirit, you leave them for a, for a certain period, the alcohol extracts the flavors, and then you just filter out the botanical, like baking tea, essentially, but with alcohol. Um, but I actually just steal this. So the botanicals go into the steel, they go into a, a, a wheat-based spirit, and they go in on, they get loaded on a Friday, they macerate over the weekend just for the alcohol to kind of extract as much of the flavor as possible. And then on the Monday, they get distilled, or it gets distilled on the, on the Monday. So it's kind of has a weekend to, to just to marry in there. Um, that gets distilled, and then so that the distillate comes out in the same way that the gin would come out totally clear, uh, about 80 82% ABV. And then to give it because it's got some color and it's got some bitterness and it's got some sweetness which you can't distill. So I do a separate little infusion. So I use the natto seeds, which are a natural current. Don't want to put any numbers in, don't want to put any, any nasties in. Um, with honey, so I so, so blend honey and uh, natto seeds and wormwood and gentian, which are very bitter, and sort of macerate those for four weeks, which I've obviously done before. So that there's a kind of bittersweet infusion that then goes into the distillate. So it's a two-part process, a maceration and a distillation. They, they go together. Um, then we add a little bit of sugar just to, just to sort of smooth it off. And then um, water to 33%. We let it sit for two weeks just to marry, and then we bottle it. So it's Perfect. basically, yeah, in between kind of gin making and, and, uh, and bitters, something in between of that. Nice. Yeah. So designed as, a, as an aperitif, why was that particularly important to you? I just thought that was a good... Um, a good place to focus that well that the um, the aperitif culture in, in this country is only just been growing in the last kind of 10 years you know Aperol is the I guess the kind of driver of that Campari and Aperol have been the drivers but they haven't really started marketing until recently so the Aperol spritz was not a thing when I was when I was still working in bars full time it was it's only you know recently they've done that advertising and made it made it a thing which is great and it's helped me um, but obviously you know we're the British version of Aperol, you know, we, we're trying to be that, you know, that sort of go-to British aperitif. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's relatively new, but but what I love about that space is that it's just a, it's just the the perfect time to enjoy a lower alcohol drink that has lots of flavour and sort of stimulates the palate. You know, the idea that aperitif comes from the uh, the Latin apertura uh, to open, for aperture and a camera to open the stomach up in preparation for food. So the um, you know the British culture I love because it's like, it's very very sociable you know finish work spend time in the sun or you know just before dinner having a little kind of small or or long you know a bitter aperitif that tastes great and just kind of really wakes you up and gets your palate your, your kind of juices going before dinner and that's I just I love that little mm. you know, that that moment that moment was great so. Um, that was the focus. Was like, okay, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna, because it, like, it's great cocktails and it's great after dinner as well. But you know, you can stick it in your Bloody Marys if you want <laughs> for breakfast. But uh, the, for me, the aperitif moment—that's sort of like five to seven o'clock uh, point. Finish work, have a drink. 
Yeah, I hadn't realised that to be fair about the, the history of the aperitif, although when I was reading, but yeah, I again love that as a restaurateur. I love the idea of kind of, you know, preparing the palate um, for the food. It would be nice to see that tradition come back, I guess, because it's not, uh, you know, it's still niche. The gin and tonic is a, we don't really think of it as an aperitif, in the same way that the Italians think of Campari as an aperitif, but, you know, it is, it's, it's, a, it's an alcoholic drink which is served before eating that gets the gastric juices going. You know, the tonic water is the, where the bitterness is. And the bitterness is the key, because that's the thing that kind of gets your saliva ducts watering, and that's the thing that's, you know, singing all this to your stomach to get all your gastric juices going. So there is some kind of science behind it. Um, but yeah, no, the bread is great, and then we should be drinking more mm. of them. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to pints after work. Yeah. Have a little gin and tonic, have a little Negroni, have a little spritz, you know. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lovely tradition. And that does seem to be changing, I think, doesn't it? If you go back, certainly 20 years ago, we were all probably, you know, just, just drinking uh, pints of, uh, yeah, you know, crappy foreign imported lager probably. But, you know, A, there's been a huge growth in the kind of, you know, the pale ales and much more kind of hoppy and interesting flavours. But, uh, yeah, also a, a growth in the in the spirits market. Um, and you alluded to it just now. So, actually, the Aperol Spritzer is a, is, is a benefit. Why is that? The Aperol Spritzer benefits to, 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 to you and kind of presumably company. the awareness of, of well, because we have got the budgets that Campari have got. Campari owns Aperol now, so um, they spend a huge amount of money. You know, billboards, the festivals, they have big tent festivals, orange umbrellas outside. I mean, we don't have those kind of budgets. We're, we're a small family business, so but, but the you know, so for me coming into a market which where the aperitif was quite small, that's going to really be. A voice for education on the aperitif and the culture of that, as well as the brand. Whereas you know, Campari and Aperol come along and they're like aperitif yeah. culture. You know, um, shout it from the rooftops, which is good uh, for me because I can come along behind and be like, "You've heard of an Aperol spritz? Well, ours is a Brit spritz. It's a British version. You know, it's an easy sell." Um, so that's nice. But obviously, it'd be nice to have a bit more budget to be able to like you know follow up. In the yeah. same way that it's been interesting though and, and something I hadn't really thought about until I've interviewed people in a, in a number of sectors whether it be gin or whether it be coffee or whether it be beers and actually how often that's come up that the, the the kind of big brands which I suppose is my gut instinct is always to support you know the, the kind of little guy and that entrepreneurial spirit uh, actually they're a great stepping stone mm-hmm. and they do you know they do lead you into the the kind of the higher end and the niche um, ultimately, which is yeah, yeah, becomes a good thing, which is one that I hadn't necessarily appreciated. Um, so um, ultimately, the name becomes uh, Cam and Sons rather than Cameling, and, yeah. and and you focused uh, a little bit again around the story and it being British, but there ended up being a, a family link. And so, can you just explain? Well, yeah, where does where does the family was, history come through? There was always a family link. Um, it was only it was really a trademark issue that I had with the German brand called Cameling. Let's not go into that. Um, <laughs> anyway, a steep learning curve in trademark law in the first year. Um, but look, we, we, there was always the, the story was always there, and that was that that my uh, great grandfather, who was a who lived in Vienna, had a, a confectionery factory. Actually, was working in this factory, and then ended up buying it with his business partner. And he used to make chocolates and sweets and all these sort of things. And actually, growing up as a kid, I was just told that my great granddad was Willy Wonka, kind of like a Willy Wonka type you know, character, we had these chocolates. And that was true to a certain extent, but he also made these little herbal cough sweets, which he gave to my granddad as a kid. And um, I didn't know anything about this until I gave my granddad the first try of the recipe. And so, you know, five years in, gave my granddad, you know, yeah, grandpa, try this. He doesn't really, they don't really drink much, my family, they're, they're pretty teetotal. But anyway, that little try, he was like, oh, this is, this is interesting, it reminds me of something. And he couldn't put his finger on it immediately. And then um, a few days later, it called me up and was like, I thought what it was. My dad used to give me this little sweet when I had a, a cold, um, and it tastes like this. And I was just thought it was amazing. You know, the fact that the, the you know the power of smell and taste can take you back to being a you know he's he's ninety five now. I mean, he was in his late eighties when he tried it, but um, you know he was a sort of five six year old boy, you know, growing up in, in Vienna. So anyway, dedicated to my great granddad. My Dad, I've kind of pulled him out of retirement to help me on, on bits. My brother designed the bottle. My cousin did my first website. So there's been a lot of cameling sons involved in, in the business. So uh, I'm one of the sons, basically. Yeah. I'm not, I, you know, it's my business. I've, I've founded it, but I've kind of pulled in family help. Yeah, yeah. nice. Has that, has that worked well, working with family? Because that yeah, can go one of, one uh, of, one no, of two ways. Right. I mean, we don't work in the same office. <laughs> he works in, in his office in Weybridge and I work in London. 
Um, but we, you know, we communicate all the time, and, and yeah, it's it's great. You know, we trust each other. We, we, you know, we know we can be honest with each other. There's no, there's no bullshit. It's straight down the line. You know. Yeah. Perfect. Um, and then you mentioned then as well, just bringing your parents in, and there's been a sort of a slight evolution of, a, of another product, I think, with, that they help produce. Can you just Absolutely. explain about yeah, that? Yeah, so I um, started making gin. I said I wasn't going to do it, but <laughs> I've been persuaded through all corners. Um, and I, started, I guess it was kind of a bit of a challenge for me. I used to work for a gin company. I love my gins. Um, I, I launched Amazon because I didn't want to make a gin, and now I'm making a gin. But if I can make, I just want to try and make the, you know the, the, the best gin I could, um, which is quite a challenge. You know, there's a lot of really good gins on the market now, and there's there's a lot of gins which have um, you know great great stories, great heritage and stuff. And so I just wanted to to make one with some you know with some substance and and, and also just a little point of difference as well. So that was a two year process just trying to make that. Actually, that was. Wow. Not quite as hard as Scamsons, but still, I mean, I think I just I lost myself a little bit and just in that in that whole sort of like, right, I need to make a great gin and I, I think I, I um, yeah, I just did, I was just backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards on recipes and try this, try this and, you know, I just got a bit obsessed about it. Um, but the product is, is great. I'm really pleased with this. Yeah, and, and it makes sense. I can definitely understand. Well, how long ago was that? That was, we launched that last year. Okay, so yeah, so, so you know, there has been such a growth, but it would seem um, silly in some ways to waste all of that knowledge that you had tasting and, and all those different uh, botanicals and all those different ingredients. And, and yeah, I make, thought it was going to be fairly easy from the yeah. experience. Yeah, well, that's before. why I was surprised when you said yeah. that it took another two years. Yeah, because yeah, but it's just I had to basically, I thought I could take the Camazon's recipe and sort of you know adjust it, bring yeah. the juniper up a little bit and mm. bring the ginseng down. And uh, that didn't really work. I had to kind of completely start from scratch. And so I actually started with a four botanical gin. So I kind of uh, started things like Tanqueray, which is really four botanicals. So I kind of started to try and recreate those recipes and then sort of build up. I wanted it to be a complex gin with the same amount of botanicals as, as uh, Camazon. So it's got that a, a similar complexity, but in a London Dry format. Okay, and then with what you've already told me and your your level of obsession, so we say, I'm sure yeah, you've compared yeah. it to everything else. So you, you've ended up with something unique, Which, have you? And what's the what's yeah, the flavour profile? The thing is, with well, I think where I struggle with London Dry has got quite a tight frame. You know, the, the best gins are London Dry gins in style. So the definition is that juniper has to be the main flavour. Fine, you um, and there's lots of other kind of rules and regulations about how it should be produced. But essentially, if it doesn't taste of juniper. It's not a London dry. So you can't start adding weird and wonderful things in, which is why there's a big rant in the industry about pink gins, strawberry gins, all the rest of it. They're not really gins because they don't taste of juniper. But of course, consumers like it and there's a market and, you know, all those bend, they always get bent and everything else. So um, how do you make a London dry different from the others without using, you know, really obscure ingredients? And, and, um, and that's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> so you know you can add lots of numbers or you can reduce the numbers or you can you know uh, do different types of distillation you know you got junipers from the hills over here or the, the you know the fields over here or wherever <laughs> so you know, it's kind of, you need to weave a story into it and, and, and sort of have some you know some credible back you know history or, or you know integrity to it Mm. So, so what's particularly unique about it then with so, the well, final so, product? So, well, actually, I mean, I said about not using strange ingredients. I use ginseng in it as well. So, there's still that kind of ginseng element. Um, it's 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 complex in that the um, juniper is still the main flavour, but I've used flowers and roots and leaves and nuts and berries and bark and spices to sort of complement the 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 natural flavours of juniper. You know, there's lots of facets to juniper, and you can accentuate those with. You know, like you know, lavender, for example, or a little bit of woodiness and a bit of spiciness and some some citrus elements. Um, so yeah, the juniper is the main flavour, and all those other ingredients support it. And if you look at the label, the label design, I'm just pulling up so you can see it. You can see it on, on the podcast. Um, you can describe it. <laughs> yeah, but hopefully there'll be a picture of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, all those colours represent. I sort of always use a bit of my artistic skill here as well. And that, that when I when I taste. I taste in colour, but I don't have full synesthesia. But when I taste a, when I taste a flavour, I imagine shapes and I imagine colours. So I've kind of put the, the how I taste this gin is, is the colour of the labels. I wanted that colour to represent each of those botanical categories and, and the way they kind of merge together to form one flavour. You know, it's 45 ingredients, but it's a London dry gin. Yeah. 
And I like that. And as I'm looking at the label, presumably then we're talking about that sort of dark at the bottom gets lighter towards the top. I'm presuming the, the berries and the leafy flavors towards the top goes Absolutely. back to that tree yeah, yeah, sort of root analogy yeah, yeah, exactly. that you gave earlier, which is yeah. cool. And that's why I love the, having that, that arty background because you're fundamentally representing something very complicated. Yeah. Uh, very simply and very subtly in a way that, you know, 99.9% .9 more than that are people looking at the bottle are never going to get it. But it's yeah. nice that there's a story there with, yeah, with yeah. some authenticity yeah. when you want to explain it, which is cool. Um, we touched on the on the kind of growth of the, the general uh, aperitif market and, and the impact that's had somewhere in, in a positive way. Um, one of the other growths, and we also touched on the fact that people maybe drink less now, but hopefully, you know, try and drink things that are more interesting and there's a market to go premium. Um, but the, the low alcohol or non-alcoholic movement around that kind of botanicals and aperitif has always been a thing, also been a thing, I suppose in the last couple of years. What's, what's your thought on that? On non-alcoholic aperitifs? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, the aperitif by definition is an alcoholic drink. So uh, there is this, there are a few new, and very good quality, I should add, um, non-alcoholic aperitifs. I think actually it work, not, that no-alcohol seems to work much better with aperitifs because you can add loads of flavours. You can add loads of herbs and things. So, for example, something don't, uh, don't dissolve into water like juniper is very hard to extract the flavours of the juniper without using alcohol because alcohol is a solvent it's a thing that kind of helps separate the oils out and, and, and releases the flavour so it's hard to make non-alcoholic gin so you, but you can make non-alcoholic other things with different botanicals so the aperitif um, is good because it's a herbal it's, you can add sugar to it you can add bitterness to it um, there are more flavours to go on and, and, and there are some yeah there are some great aperitifs that have launched um, when you have them at all. Technically not aperitif, but you know, it's fine. The, you, you know, we have to, the, the industry's changing so, so quickly and consumers' tastes are changing so quickly that I think we also need to be a bit more, it's yeah. fine, it's cool. It's, you know, like low alcohol gin, for example, there isn't any, there are only low alcohol gins. You can't call it gin unless it's 37.5%. Why not? Why, you know, why shouldn't there be? Yeah. Okay. If, it's, if, it's, if, it's, if, if alcohol is a bad thing, and we should be drinking less. Why can we not make gin at thirty percent? You know, there are there are these rules that are in place, and they're very hard to change. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And how much is important? So again, with your knowledge of the science, I suppose, but that 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 kind of getting the palate ready. How important is? Is alcohol as a as part of that process in actually kind of yeah you know getting the body ready? Does it play a part or is it not relevant? I mean, the alcohol for me is the is the thing that carries the flavour right. better than water does. It's a carrier, you know. It's it, it, you know, the alcohol extracts the the flavors in the botanicals. Um, it preserves them, um, and it just delivers that the mouthfeel and the length of, of of finish in a different way. And it's hard. It's a hard thing to describe, but flavored waters or you know other things that have you know, there are not alcoholic things that don't uh, that are you know lots uh, very tasty that don't have alcohol in them. But there's just something about alcohol <laughs> that, that delivers that flavour and and, um, and also obviously helps you relax. Mm. And in the same way, presumably as, as perfumes and aftershave and stuff, in the fact it carries the uh, the aromas yeah. in a different way than yeah. than, than just yeah. a, another liquid. Yeah. I, I guess. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you know you've you've created this uh, amazing product with such a great story behind it. Uh, how do you get it out there? How do you get people to know? Because I, what I've noticed is two things, I suppose. One, you've got to sell what people want to buy. Uh, and two, there's too many people in the world who don't care where stuff comes from mm. and what that story is. So you're, you're aiming at a niche. Most people just go, I'm hot, I'm thirsty, I want a drink. And they mm. don't get as geeky as, as, no. as, as I would love people to geeky. get. <laughs> yeah. And, how, and why and how do, you, how do you educate people around that? So, I mean, I go... I mean, I do education in, in trade, so I go and train bartenders. So I, I kind of talk about the aperitif culture. I go and um, I talk to them about, you know, the, the, the styles of aperitif and how they're made and the history and, you know, wine-based and spirit-based and all the rest of it. So I do a, like, uber geeky session for the trade. And then for consumer, it's, it's you know, through press, through social media, you know, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Um, but uh, yeah, actually at the moment there's a lot of people talking about aperitifs anyway so there's quite a lot of aperitifs chat which is good but when I started there was none so it's like I had to really explain it and just had to keep explaining it um, so there was still a lot of education to be done on that but it's certainly moving in the right direction yeah. you know, and Aperol already helped with that 
Yeah. And and then the the business side of it. So you you know you come from an arty background. I love the fact that you've turned your arty background into a spreadsheet of the world's <laughs> botanicals. Yeah. So there seems like a contradiction there already. Yeah, yeah, but sure. now you've got to take it to the next stage, where presumably you've got yeah marketing and brand and finance and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. So how's how's that journey been? Um, interesting, interesting. It's you know steep sort of learning curve for me, just having to like build you know models and you know cash flows and all those sort of things. I mean that is not the bit that I enjoy. Um, but obviously it's one of those things that you know, as a business owner you need to get your head around and you know as I sort of take take some joy in in you know crafting these beautiful spreadsheets with, with all these cells that, that work when you type this number in here and you know so so I've, I have kind of got into it um, I'm definitely not a natural spreadsheeter but uh, but yeah I'm, I'm always at Excel now <laughs> you have to do yeah, you know, no. accounting software and all the rest of it it's um, yeah Oh, it's part of the business. Okay. Yeah. So, so now to actually get people uh, drinking the product, because it, it would be, you know, it's easy to come up with these incredible things uh, and then to be wonderful, but for people fundamentally not to buy them, I suppose. So what's the route to market now? Is it predominantly going to bar people? Or are you getting into the shops? What's yeah, the, what's the bigger source in, of sales? We are in, you know, Harvey Nichols and those kind of places. Fallen Masons and whatever. We're not in the supermarkets yet. Um, we're still a bit niche for the supermarkets. But we sell in lots of independents and things, but we're still to 90% trade. So you'll find us in good cocktail bars, good restaurants, hotels, etc. Okay. Um, some of the chains, although we're not in, you know, we're not in Weatherspoons or any of those places, you know, we're in Bills and, and you know, Hawksmoor and Hicks and those kind of ETM group, Drake and Morgan, those sort of bars. Amazing. Um, so yeah, we've got, we've got some great. Yeah, it's a good upset because how long now since the product was launched? Eight years. Eight years. Okay, good. And continuing to, to gather more kind of traction yes, over time um, is the word getting spread? As the, uh, as the industry grows and the competition hots up, not growing at the rate that we would like. But, you know, that's, all, that's part of business, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, roll yeah. the punches and, um, and adapt and, and survive. So, yeah, there's a, a huge amount of competition now, not just in the aperitif sector, gin sector, whiskey sector, rum sector, just brands coming in every week. Um, with big marketing budgets and you know it's harder to to cut through yeah and we still do we still got, you know we've got a lot of following and we still you know get press sort of you know dropping in and, and, and things we we don't have a PR um, full time you know bits come in here and there and you know we're fairly well known within within the uh, you know with the press so it's quite nice as well yeah you know we've, we've done lots of events and lots of things in the past so we've sort of you know, from sort of foodie shows up and down the country to Taste of London, we had a little bar, a street feast for a while. Um, yeah, so we've done, we've done lots of stuff, so we're still going about and about. And, okay. Yeah, got a vibe next week, big trade show yeah, next week. Yeah, huge. So looking back then, last 10, 15 years, um, is there anything that you would have done differently with the knowledge that you've now got on this journey? Absolutely, well, with the power of hindsight, definitely. I mean, um, if I could go back to the launch, I would have started it for calling it Cameron Sons because <laughs> I wouldn't know it would have been. <laughs> you wouldn't have had the, the issue with yeah, the legals. Exactly, yeah. so it would have been Cameron Sons, <laughs> British Brown Tea from the start. Um, we, what else would we have done differently? I think we just, we, it took us a long time to kind of focus on our signature serve. And that's the key is like, what, what do you do with this product? You do this with it, stick it with tiny. It's sort of like it's not be that easy, and actually coming from a cocktail background, I, I designed it to be versatile. So great in loads of different cocktails, you know, daiquiris and mojitos and and all sorts of different you know twists on on classics. So we sort of came out going like, look at all these great cocktails you can make. But actually, what we should have been doing is like, look at this. This is the cocktail to have, and it's very hard to do that when it's, it just works so well with so much stuff, and you want to show how versatile it can be. Whereas we should have just gone in. This is the broke spirits. This is how you make it, and this is how you sell it. You know, these are the you know just just a real focus on one drink and one serve. So that would have been that be my yeah. Hmm. And my, is that is that wisdom. that's what we do now? That's what you do I now. Mean, we obviously still go in and, into cocktail bars and talk about how versatile it is, but we we just bang on about the British spritz. Yeah. Because especially when the sun's shining, it's yeah. like right, go out and drink British spritz. Yeah. It's easy to make. This is what you need for it. You know, here are the bars that stock here. Go and drink it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's huge. I mean, you know, we, we, we restaurant on the beach and the Aperol Spritzer is uh, is a big seller. Is there a big price difference between yours um, and uh, the major about, players? It's about depending on where you get it. It's about double the price. Yeah. 
but you but it's three times stronger. Oh really? <laughs> you do the maths. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So, but, so you put less in it basically. You put less yeah. into a roast beef. So actually, like GP work, we're talking restaurant GP wise, mm. is not far off. Um, it's always going to be a premium because it's a you know small locally produced product as opposed to a mass produced one. Um, so yeah, the GPs are not bad. You, you always you, we always sell it as the upsell. Aperol spritz, no problem at all. It's got its place. This is a bit more premium. Yeah, the so next, you the charge next an extra pound. It's very yeah. well. Um, and people that like Aperol spritz like this. Yeah. A lot of them prefer it. I think hopefully I'm going to try it in a minute so uh, which, will, which will be great so and it's a, it's a nice hot sunny day so it's perfect for it um, which bit of the job now then gives you the most the most pleasure I think when I mean you know yesterday I was doing training and but you know, for a bunch of guys who don't know the product don't really care who I am or whatever and then yeah it's just another product that they're selling on their menu while I'm coming in to, you know, to talk to them and I sort of they're all, they're all sitting around and we're talking to them about an hour, you know, in detail about the history of the Italian, you know, heritage culture and what how Cincona Bark has been, you know, harvested from these trees and all the rest of it. Um, and then at the end, you know, you get a round of applause and everyone's like, oh, great drinks, really love this. And they get really inspired. And that's always really nice to see. Um, yeah. You know, I think, yeah, or, or someone, you know, is it, uh, someone overseas is posting a picture of it and the, uh, the country that I didn't even realise had it is posting a picture of their drinks they're making with it and those sort of things are nice to see that it's you know it's, it's working and this you know it's, we're getting there you know global domination is taking a little longer than uh, we thought <laughs> but yeah. um, it's, it's happening so that's bit nice. by bit it feels like it will be you know the yeah, the long game success uh, just in the fact that i can't imagine it many people are going to try and replicate it with the same level of dedication authenticity and go through the same journey and people like that people love to know that there's some authenticity behind a product don't mm -hmm. they and that some crazy guy in his flat has yeah, got 100 right. 100 ingredients and tested them all out to that level because yeah. most people take shortcuts thinking about with um, with botanicals yeah which i think is great so people have heard this i'm sure will want to try it where's the easiest place then to go do they can they order it online or is it best to get yeah, down the shops online um if you live in london it's, it's easier to, to buy but yeah you know amazon um if you go to the website actually there's a few links there for, you know drinkshop.com master of mall amazon have it um and lots of bars have it as well. We don't have all the bars that are listed on there. We, we started and then just got too many and we just couldn't keep up. Yeah, so, good. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a good, good thing. Good cocktail bars, we'll know it. Yeah. And, and should have it. What's your website address? CameronSons.com. Okay, perfect. Any yeah. favourite social media channel where people can follow what's I mean, going on? CameronSons Cameron on Instagram or CameronSons on Twitter. Yeah. Very easy to find as long as you spell it right. K-A-M-M for mother. <laughs> yeah, A-N-D-S-O-N-S. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Good. Well, look, you know, just just a thank you really for being geeky enough to uh, to take <laughs> it to an extreme of what you've created. It's brilliant, and thanks for sparing the time to uh, to chat about it. Uh, and best of luck. Good last thing. Any uh, any plans to add any anything else? Um, hey, always working on stuff. Yeah, but nothing I can talk about at the moment. Okay. Well, good luck. We'll keep an eye on it. So, uh, thank you for your time. Cheers. So there you have it. You have reached the end of another episode of the Humans of Hospitality podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please go and visit our website, humansofhospitality.co.uk for the show notes and extra episodes and information. And whilst you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter and to receive free materials all about the humans behind our incredible industry. Lastly, if you could subscribe, rate and review this podcast, you will be massively helping me out and it would be hugely appreciated. Thank you so much. We'll be launching another podcast in just seven days time. Cheers. Cheers.